Greetings and welcome to the audio etheric transmission The Tales of Sage and Savant, a Twin Star production. This broadcast is brought to you on the first of each month from the Twin Star Studios in sunny Southern California. Our tale stars Eddie Louise as Dr. Petronella Sage, Chip Michael as Professor Erasmus Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Mix Abigail Entwistle, and myself, Justin Bremer, as your humble narrator. This month's program, entitled Swinging Cats and Hep Girls, is sponsored by Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing and features the music of Victor Sierra. And now, without further ado, we bring you the tales of Sage and Savant. Come with me and conquer time Transmigration journeys expand your When last we saw our trio of adventurers, they were newly returned from the women's convention in Seneca Falls and jubilant with the spirit of the suffragettes. Well, two of the three were jubilant. Our professor had a more difficult experience than that of the two Galvanists and in the weeks since has been distracted and subdued. The professor has gone quiet before, but in those instances he would lock himself away in his office and emerge a few days later with another groundbreaking paper presenting radical ideas on cultural anthropology. This time, his silence has lasted for nearly 20 days, and instead of locking himself in his office to write, he has been pacing the grounds of the university in endless circles. Needless to say, this behavior has his friends worried. What do you think is behind Erasmus's strange behavior since we returned from Seneca Falls? Is there something wrong in the history department? I don't think so, but I have wondered the same thing. He's just not himself these days. Oh, Abigail, you don't think that something went wrong with the transmigration, do you? That somehow he didn't come back as himself? Oh no, I don't think that's it exactly. He seems himself, just a sadder, more melancholy version of himself. Well, he is avoiding me, that is for certain. What do you mean, avoiding you? Yesterday, at the Provost's luncheon, he distinctly chose a different table to sit at than mine. Oh, Petronella, he is allowed to have friends other than yourself. I know that, uh, but we've sat together at the annual luncheon every year since we were both hired by the university. It is how we met, an anniversary of sorts. It is just not like Erasmus to avoid my company on such an occasion. Oh, I see what you mean. Do you think there is anything we should try to do for him? Yes. No, I don't know. It's usually him doing for me, you see. 
I've had very little practice in the reverse. Sage is correct. Usually it is the professor who is tending to the doctor's needs, but our favorite scholar is currently occupied with the fallout from a traumatic event and simply hasn't got the emotional fortitude to dote on his friends as usual. A wise woman once described the most inward part of a person as a castle and keep protecting the very small and delicate thing that is the self. An assault like that the professor endured in 1848 tears a hole in those walls and exposes that defenseless part of the soul to abuse and cruelty and to the threat of annihilation. To heal from such a thing is the slow process of gathering the scattered parts of oneself and rebuilding the bastion that keeps you safe. It is slow, painful, and arduous work. It is also solitary work, which the professor has chosen to do on his feet. Uh, professor Savant, uh, yoo-hoo, Professor Savant, uh, oh my, uh, you are a, a hard man to catch up to. Uh, did you decide to start training for the Olympics after all? Uh, the Olympics? Oh, yes, uh, no, I'm not oh, training for the Olympics. Well, this is a remarkable quick pace for a man who is not in athletic training. Some people like to walk to think. Yes, quite. Some people like to think privately. Indeed, uh, that is so, yes, yes. Mix Cunningham, I am some people. Oh, you would like to be alone. I understand. I wouldn't have disturbed you if this were not a matter of the gravest importance. I need your help in averting a disaster. Oh, thank goodness, my man. Just let me catch my breath. Really, Provost? I don't mean to be rude, but I have a great deal on my mind. What is this disaster you speak of? This is an all-hands-on-deck situation, Professor Savant. An outrage is being perpetrated at this university as we speak, and it is up to men of vision and quality such as ourselves to step into the breach and stop this travesty. Out with it, man! What are you referring to? I am referring to the assault that is the new women's wardrobe, as sanctioned by the Dean of Women's Studies. It seems that Dean Stewart has come under the sway of the rational dress movement. She must be stopped. Rational dress? Isn't that the movement to end overly restrictive and impractical clothing? The very one! And now, Dean Stewart has decreed that our female fellows, professors and doctors can opt to wear pantaloons rather than skirts as an acceptable form of compliance with the uniform code. You wish me to help you stop women from wearing trousers? Indeed. It upsets the natural order. And what order would that be, Cunningham? The order that states that women must always be subservient to men? It or the order that says a woman's dress must first and foremost show her form in a manner that is appealing to men, no matter the practicality? Or I perhaps it is the order where a father can sell his daughter for an income whether the match is wise or not? Good gracious! Goodness gracious indeed! I am all for rational dress. A woman should be able to dress appropriately for the work she is doing, just as a man can. Moreover, I believe that women are better suited to say what is appropriate for their own sex without the sanctimonious meddling of men. Now, if there is nothing else... Without waiting for the flabbergasted provost's reply, Savant stalked off across the quad. For the first time in weeks, he was anxious to talk to Petra. You 
will not believe what that insufferable little man just cornered me with. Erasmus, hello. Yes, uh, hello. Cunningham just attempted to recruit me against Dean Stewart and her rational dress reforms. Oh, yes. The new uniform standards. They seem quite practical to me. Well, to our least favorite provost, they are an encroaching disaster, and he had the gall to think I would join him in a crusade to rectify the outrage. <laughs> Don't worry. I know you wouldn't take such a stance in opposition to my beliefs, dear friend. Petra, regardless of what you might think, I do not hold a single principle just because it pleases you. There are right things and wrong things in the subjugation of half the human race to the insecure and self-centered philosophies of the other half is a wrong that has long needed correcting. Well, I meant no offense. Yes, well, you also do not give me credit for independent thoughts and desires. It is high time you did so. Erasmus, I... Oh, hello, Professor. So nice to see you. Been for your morning constitutional, I see. Not now, What's Abigail. That? Well, the, the grass in your shoes. I, I, I'm sorry. Uh, do you need me to go? Yes. No. No, Petra. I am sorry. I shouldn't have let my peak at Cunningham manifest towards you. But do tell me you plan on visiting a tailor to be outfitted in the new pantaloons? They should prove ever so much more comfortable and practical for laboratory work. Speaking of laboratory work, are you by any chance willing to transmigrate this morning? Um, I haven't... Well, it's just that... I'm not sure traveling is the best thing for me at this juncture, Petra. Erasmus, did something happen that you haven't told me of? I'm very concerned. Nothing for you to worry about, old girl. Uh, but I am worried. I might be persuaded to go. Where is it that you have your sights set on now? I've been thinking. I am now able to pretty specifically target the date and continent for travel to the past. I really should check if the same targeting is as specific towards the future. How far into the future were you thinking? I was tempted to set it for five decades. We've gone that far into the past a few times, but not the same frequency or distance to the future. Um, I think that maybe just the ticket then. Yes, I, I will travel with you today. Although, I don't suppose you can control what type of body I'll move into. Whatever do you mean? I'd rather not be a girl is all. I'm still processing that last experience. I'm afraid I cannot guarantee that you will end up male, but the odds are in your favor. After all, you've been in masculine form for all travels but this last. I suppose you're right. So, when do we leave? Though the professor is trepidatious, he is not cowardly. He knows, as do we all, that Dr. Sage will continue transmigrating with or without him. So, clamping down tightly on the nervous reaction in his gut, he dons his Faraday armor and joins the doctor at the slabs. Will you not come with us, Abigail? I wish I could, actually. Unfortunately, I have an exam this afternoon. Cannot let the doctoral study slip, no matter how thrilling the prospect of seeing the future. <laughs> All right, Abigail. You do not need to apply such a thick coating of whitewash. I'm pretty sure that a single positive experience has not extinguished your concerns about transmigration. That may be so, Doctor, but I am trying to put a new face on it and separate valid concerns from superstitious fear, as all good scientists must. 
I really do believe I have less to fear from transmigrations than I used to feel. Nevertheless, needs must. Laboratory of Dr. Petronella Sage, 8th April 1895. Today, the professor and I shall travel five decades into the future. Cladney at B5. As always, the recall chimes are in Aeolian mode. Recall is set for four days from now. Since we are going into the future, we will be observing rule number three and remind ourselves that future tech may be admired, but not recreated in our own time. Five decades into the future, what will our adventurers discover in that strange new world? We'll find out after this short musical break. And now, dear friends, we invite you to listen to the amazing music of our friends from Paris, Victor Sierra.
же ты And now, back to our story. When we left our heroes, they had set their trajectory for five decades into the future. Uh, but they have arrived in the swinging 50s. Unfortunately, the bodies they are occupying are no longer swinging. Our pair of adventurers have awoken in the bodies of one silky Anthony Anderson, a lounge singer of minor talent, also known as the Dapper Dean, and Miss Jessica Tanner, an erstwhile cocktail waitress and Silky Anthony's one and only groupie. Tony is tall and fair with movie star looks and a deep caramel voice. Jessica is slim, brunette, and bouncy in all the right places. Oh, I recognize this feeling. This is alcohol poisoning. I think it is more than that, Petra. I have some sort of white powder in my nose, and I am burning up. In fact, the two rather unsavory characters had been on a 16-hour drugs and alcohol bender, and their poor, overstimulated bodies finally gave out. Oh, let me see that powder. Cocaine! We, we, we've got to bring your body temperature down. Oh. Hey! What did you do that for? I told you! Uh, I need to get your body temperature down. Truthfully, ladies and gentlemen, we have learned all we can while our travelers are in this state. I suggest we skip ahead past the physical discomfort of the current moment. Sage and Savant are in western Nevada, on the edge of a gambling boom, when every hotel needs a lounge and every lounge needs a crooner. Hundreds of B-talent Johnnies make a living singing the standards and waiting for their big break. In the boom town of Las Vegas, the Rat Pack rules, but here in the hinterlands, one man with jazz sensibilities and a passable voice can gather a loyal fanbase. Tony Anderson is just such a man. A few hours after coming to consciousness, Sage and Savant are feeling just a bit more human and ready to investigate their surroundings. The first thing they notice once the bleariness clears is a giant poster declaring Silky Anthony Anderson in town for two weeks only. The professor's likeness wears a shiny tuxedo and sits in a spotlight at an impossibly glossy piano. It seems you are something of a performer. I can't play the piano. Hear the hit songs including the Billboard bestseller, Don't Ya Know? It seems you sing, too. I can't sing. But this body can. Here, look at this sheet music. Try and sing the line. So, so, do, do, re, mi, re, do, do, re, mi, re, do, do, re, mi, re, do. Bop, Goodness, what kind of singing is that? I don't know, but it sure feels good to sing this way. I think we'd better find out where and exactly when we are. I had assumed that the clothes we're wearing were night clothes and this was some kind of bedsit. But now I'm wondering... Look, a brooch with a name on it. Jessica, I wonder if... Is this yours? What a strange and ugly piece of jewelry. 
Taking the brooch in hand, Sage leads the way out of the dressing room and onto the stage itself. Numerous round tables dotted with unlit candles and ringed with horseshoe benches face the stage. Gilded frescoes climb the proscenium-like scene, and mirrored panels peek out between heavy velvet curtains. Everything reeks of day-old smoke. The two cross the stage and walk up the aisle between tables until they reach the exit. They push open the doors and are immediately engulfed in a tsunami of sound and colored lights. <laughs> what is this place? I believe they're gambling. Is gambling always this noisy? <laughs> Only when there's alcohol involved. Oh, hi there, Jessica. You're in early. The girl that has stopped to talk to the doctor is dressed in the most outlandish outfit. A short and poofy skirt, an incredibly tight and low-cut top, and crazy high heels that seem to make it impossible for her to walk in an upright posture. Pinned to her blouse is a matching brooch to the one that Sage holds. Only this one reads Susie. Sage looks at the brooch in her hand and puts two and two together. Oh, hello, uh, Susie. No, I'm not early. I was just... Ah, I get it. Did she finally get her claws into you, Tony? Why would I want to claw him? I beg your pardon. <laughs> well, must have been some night. You two are both acting so squirrely. I gotta deliver these drinks. Find me later, Jessica. I want all the details. The girl breezed off, and Sage and Savant braved the smoke to cross the casino floor, looking for a way out. When they finally reached the large bank of glass doors leading outside, they gratefully pushed through into the blaring Nevada sunshine. Sage lifts a hand to shield her eyes from the punishing sun. We are in the desert. I have never known a desert to have such garish architecture. They look up and down the street, but for the giant confection of the casino, the town seems a typical small and forgotten burg in a backwater far from the halls of academia. Two things make this scene remarkable for our heroes. The first is the large and exotic automobiles that move up and down the street. Do you see those automobiles? They are so large. I've seen lorries that would hold less. Almost like canal boats. You could put eight people in them and still have elbow room. The second factor of wonder is the casino itself. The front facade screams for attention as it rises above them, a garish and over-decorated wedding cake. Giant posters like the one in the dressing room rise along either side of the entryway, declaring the exclusive engagement of the most romantic singer in the world. I think we'd better make ourselves scarce. I don't plan on being anywhere near that stage when the curtain goes up. Oh, uh, but don't you see, Erasmus? You have a brilliant opportunity to test my theory of bodily memory. Does your physical form recall the technique of piano or your vocal cords the technique of singing? What talents have become so ingrained by practice that they transcend consciousness? Surely a little humiliation is worth it in the pursuit of science? I know you have wondered about this for quite some time, Petra, but can we not test it when you're in the body of a pianist? There you are, Tony. I've been ringing your room. Why didn't you pick uh, up? I'm sorry. Um... Marty! Good God, kid. You tie one on so tight you don't recognize your own manager? 
Hey, Scram, girly, I gotta get a star ready for his performance. And before they can protest, Savant is whisked through the doors and back into the pandemonium of the casino. Sage rushes to follow them, but the manager threads the currents of gamblers and cocktail waitresses like a trout through river grass, and she loses them. Jessica, what are you doing? You need to get dressed. There are high rollers coming tonight and the boss wants us in the theater. Well, come on, sweetheart. Sage follows helplessly in the wake of the girl as she leads the way to a concealed doorway at the back of the casino next to the entrance of the theater. Sage attempts to slip away, but Susie catches her hand and pulls her back. What is wrong with you, Jessica? He's got your mossy donut glaze and now you can't think straight? The very determined cocktail waitress takes Sage to an employee's dressing room. Racks of uniforms line the wall, some of the short and sassy variety like Susie is wearing, others of the long and sultry type. Susie indicates the latter. Go for the blue or the purple, Jess. Play off that shiny brown hair and uh, your big brown eyes. Use work the high rollers right tonight and you'll get the best tips of your life. Tips? On what? What do you mean? Uh, tips for what? Advice? Instructions? Suggestions? Jessica, I don't know what you're playing at, but you best get your head in the game now. Tonight you's working for cash chips and no high roller wants his hostess all starry-eyed for the piano player. I'm sorry, Susie. You're right. I'll wear the blue. Should I put on my brooch as well? Your brooch? Oh, your name tag. Of course he's asked to wear it, silly. How else are the customers supposed to learn your name? Now hurry up and get dressed. I wanna, I wanna borrow that uh, new scarlet lipstick of yours. We shall leave the girls to their toilette and check in on the professor. Marty, the manager, has taken Savant to an upper-level hotel suite with views out over the desert. The sun is low in the sky and beginning to cast a golden shadow across the plain as it makes its descent to the distant purple mountains. The suite is luxurious and sleek, and Savant itches to look closer at the furnishings and decor. But Marty is having none of it. What on earth are you doing, Tony? Uh, looking for the border of the carpet so I can ascertain a maker's mark. Have you lost your mind? This is wall-to-wall -wall plush. There is no border. And besides, you have no time for this. We need to rehearse the new tunes, and then you need to get dressed and get ready for the show. I just gotta make a call first. The manager walks to the telephone and dials his party. The lure of the device is too much for our poor professor, and he is drawn to it like a fly to honey. What a remarkable telephone. You did not need an operator to make your call. I didn't hear you ask for the exchange. And what is that marvelous dial? Hands off. Have you gone bonkers? I can't have any more trouble from you or I swear you will lose this contract. Any more trouble? Yeah, wise guy. Your escapades with the cocktail waitress got noticed last night. I get a call this morning saying the two of you was laying dead in a den of sex and drugs in your dressing room. I rush right over to find the boat is standing out on the sidewalk like you got sunshine coming out of your neverminds and I ain't taking no chances with this gravy train. So from this moment on, I am to you like glue, baby. Get used to it. Now go get yourself cleaned up. You stink. We will leave Savant to go and discover the wonders of the safety razor and pause for a word from our sponsor. Hello listeners, Eddie Louise here, head writer of the Tales of Sage and Savant. I have amazing news. I have completed the novelization of season one of the Tales of Sage and Savant, and it is published by our sponsor, Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. Edge publishes thought-provoking full-length novels and anthologies of science fiction, fantasy, and horror. 
Featuring works by established authors and emerging new voices, Edge is pleased to provide quality literary entertainment in both print and pixel. My book, Transmigrations, debuts April 28th and will be available at your local bookstore and online for Kindle, Kobo, Nook, iTunes, and Google Play. Transmigrations is our chance to really explore the world of Sage and Savant and to learn more of our narrator, Justin. Find out more on my website, eddielouise.com, or at www.edgewebsite.com. Yes, dear friends, be sure and order your copy of Transmigrations, book one of the Tales of Sage and Savant, published by Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. And now, back to our show. When we left our heroes, they were each preparing for an evening in the lounge, Sage in a cocktail gown and hostess name tag, Savant as the main event. Happily, Sage's theory proved out, and after a few wobbly bars on the piano at the beginning of rehearsal, Savant was pleased to discover that he could indeed play the piano. Lyrics for songs were a problem, but Marty had that covered. It seems that Tony Anderson's cocaine habit meant that he often forgot what he was singing. So Marty had lyric sheets taped to the floor of the stage in strategic spots. All Savant had to do was follow the progression of the songs from one side of the stage to the other. Rehearsal and sound check went well, and Savant made his way back to the dressing room to await his call. The room was a completely different place than the booze-soaked, drug-tinged flop it had been just hours before. All of the empty bottles and paraphernalia were cleared away. Everything had been cleaned and dusted to a shine. The pillows were plumped, and there was a giant vase of roses on the table. You patty your nose and stay out of trouble. I'm gonna go check on the gate. On second thought, keep any and all patters away from that nose of yours. Just read a magazine or something. Magazines would have never held the interest of Silky Tony Anderson, but for Professor Savant, the January 6th, 1958 Life magazine was a wonder. The cover proudly proclaimed that humanity was ready to travel into frontiers beyond Earth. Erasmus? Oh, Petra, come in. You must see this. Humanity is going to space. That is most interesting. Oh, but we don't have much time. Come on. What do you mean? I'm about to go on. I know. That's why I'm here. I found us the back way out of here. We can sneak you out before the show starts and you won't have but to But I want to perform. I'm sorry. Did you just say you want to perform? You were right, Petra. When I got out of the way and let the body do its thing, I could play the piano. I can sing, too. Lyrics of the song are a problem, but, but Marty solved that for me. So you're going to sing? Oh, yes. This life is as good as any other. I have a lovely hotel suite with a carpet that goes wall to wall. Oh, and a razor that... Five minutes to cut, Mr. Anderson. Thank you, Five. What was that? Uh, I've learned a few things. Uh, I'm getting a hang of the lingo for the stage. I see. So we are staying. I'd like to, but only if everything is okay for you. That gown is most becoming on you, by the way. <laughs> 
Thank you. Yes, I suppose things are fine. If we're staying, though, there are some high rollers in the audience that I need to serve. Have a good show, I guess. Yes, I will certainly break a leg. What? Sage went to take up her tray of cocktails, and Savant dove into the wonders of Life magazine until... Places. We're at places. Thank you, places. <clears throat> Savant walked the dim hallway to the stage and took his place behind the piano. The stage manager checked to make sure that all was in readiness and then gave the order for the curtains to rise. As was Silky Anthony Anderson's style, Savant began with a laid-back piano piece, starting quiet and sure, hooking the audience with a yearning they didn't know they had. From there, another pianist came out, and the band took up accompaniment as Savant worked his way through the songbook, migrating from lyric sheet to lyric sheet across the stage. By the time he reached the climax of the show, the top hit single, Don't You Know, Sage was enthralled. She forgot all about serving cocktails and focused all her energy on the remarkable performance her friend was giving. When the performance was over, Savant invited Sage up to his suite where they could talk about the evening and look through Life magazine together. Rarely are transmigrations this felicitous. They had an additional three days to explore the wonders of the future, and every night Savant sang his heart out to a sold-out crowd. Marty the manager was amazed at the sudden professionalism of his client and began to talk of a Vegas show. Of course... You and I know that such a show would never take place because on the fourth morning the chimes rung out to call them home. They arrived back in the lab to find a note from Abigail. Come at once, West Quad. Cunningham has challenged Max Stewart, and this morning a group of undergrads has raised a protest in defense of her ideas and the push for rational dress. I thought you might enjoy the kerfuffle. It sounds like Cunningham may have found someone else to torment. <laughs> Victoria Stewart is a remarkable woman, but she will appear tame after his battles with you. By the time they had dressed and joined the protest, over 300 female students and faculty had gathered to hear the defiant words of the Dean of Female Students, Victoria Stewart. The advancement of the full participation of women and girls is the great unfinished business of the 19th century. And true advancement is clothed in rational dress. If women, supposedly the more delicate sex, were able to continue to function at the presence of a young man in inexpressibles or full front trousers, then what cause have men to swoon at the thought of a woman in a split skirt? Will Cunningham and Mick Stewart come to blows? Will Savant decide to finally get piano lessons? Will those scandalous women decide to wear trousers? We'll find out in the next episode of The Tales of Sage and Savant. The Tales of Sage and Savant is a Twin Star production, brought to you on the first of each month from our Southern California studios. 
starring Eddie Louise as Sage, Chip Michael as Savant, Emily Riley Pyatt as Abigail, and Justin Bremer as the narrator. Soundtrack music, sound design, and audio engineering by Chip Michael. Special music in this episode was provided by Victor Sierra. Check them out at victorsierra.bandcamp.com. The song, Don't You Know, was written and performed by Chip Michael. We would like to extend our gratitude to this month's sponsor, Edge Science Fiction and Fantasy Publishing. Episode 209, Swinging Cats and Hep Girls, was written by Eddie Louise. Are you interested in the historical and scientific information we included in this episode? Like us on Facebook or check out our website, sageandsavant.com, to find the facts behind the fiction. Finally, a special shout-out to Hillary Clinton for her inspiring quote. And we assure you, Mix Clinton, that we here at Sage and Savant are doing our part to help finish that unfinished business. And as always, we urge you to remember that death is no barrier to science. Thank you.